Welcome to the Hoopologist podcast. My name is Asad Lalani. My name is Shaban Samani. And joining us today on the pod is a very special guest. He's been on here before, good friend of the pod, Rahil, and now recent MBA graduate. Welcome back to the show, brother. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Just to clarify, sorry, don't want to ruin it, but it was a master's in computer science, not an oh, MBA. Oh, okay, okay. I thought it was an but, MBA because you was at Penn, but nonetheless, even more impressive, honestly. <laughs> computer science you, is much harder. Hey, I got a, I got a bachelor's in computer science. I can relate. Hey, what's up, man? I didn't know that. <laughs> That's oh, good stuff. Man. So as I- you guys can see, it's not a no, no safe for K's joining us today. Our benevolent dictator safe and the resident master of chaos K's are both in Vegas having a good time. So, you know, good for them, but yeah, we're don't, don't feel down. bad for them. Listener they're, they're having, <laughs> they, they were watching the games over uh, in Vegas. They're having a great time. <laughs> yes, they are. So today we'll be talking about doing our Western conference and Eastern conference previews. And we'll do a little bit of a wrap up of the past semifinal series in both conferences as well. We had two very exciting game sevens yesterday. The first one, we'll start off talking about Milwaukee and Boston. Rahul, what are your thoughts on the game, man? What'd you think? I'm sorry. Again, I don't think those were exciting games. I was actually very disappointed by both of those games. I had high hopes, but I mean, for Milwaukee and the Boston series, I, I felt like all of those games were really good. And you can kind of see like the true colors showing in the last, like towards the end of the series when Boston came out um, pounding. I think they put the bow on it yesterday and you could see the transformation and um, transition of Jason Tatum and the Celtics team as the next team in the East um, and the team that's probably going to be rising for quite some time. Yeah, honestly, it was, I think the series was exciting. You're right. The, I would say 60% of the game of game seven between them was exciting. And then Boston absolutely took over. And honestly, I'm, I'm shocked at how Milwaukee executed their game plan. They talked about it at the end, coach Bud and Giannis in their post-game conferences. You know, they were like, coach had a game plan for us. We were to execute the game plan. Their game plan was we're going to pack the paint and we're going to let them shoot. But when you have shooters as good as Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, who's a 42% three-point shooter on the year, and I think at one point he was averaging 50% from the corners, you're giving him 16 open shots in a game seven, the guy's going to make them. And that's what happened. They, they were Clearly, that was their strategy. They, they were like, you know, we're going to live and die by Grant Williams shooting, and Grant Williams buried them. Yeah, like game game seven was the Grant Williams game. Like I I, I kind of posted this on Twitter. I said, imagine being Grant Williams right here, right now. You spend the whole regular season averaging about eight points a game. You shot you're a good three point shooter. You shoot you shoot forty percent from three, but you shoot like maybe three threes a game. Uh, you don't shoot more than five at least. And then you come out into a game seven in a do or die game seven against the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to shoot 17 threes. Actually, no, 18 threes. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, imagine the balls on this guy. Just walk into TD Garden and just be like, I'm going to dr- – I'm just going to shoot the lights out. And he just hit him. And that he just buried Milwaukee before they even had a chance. Uh, I definitely agree that uh, this was definitely one of the more exciting series to watch. Uh, I don't think I read the stat. I don't think there was not uh, no team had won back-to-back games until game seven. And I really thought that Milwaukee was going to pull out the win, but in the end, 
no one can fill those Chris Middleton sized shoes when it mattered most. Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, Brooke Lopez, Wes Matthews, and Pat Connaughton in game seven combined for one for 24 from three. And yikes. Yeah. I mean, it was I mean, how do bad. you how do you expect to win when your team I'm like four for thirty-three from threes? Like that that resembles to me. Sorry, I mean it's hard for me, but it's like that resembles like the Rockets in Game Seven or the Warriors. You know, they just like miss Oof. a bunch of threes. If you miss Ugh. your shots, it's like literally like a make or miss league, right? So like, if your game plan is that we're going to pack the paint and we're going to let them shoot, then you also need to be confident that you can shoot on the other side. Like it goes both ways, and so that was like a key telling when you could see those shots that they were taking. They were some of them were decent and good shots, but they were just missing them, and then Boston was making them. Just simple math. Yeah, uh, it's. I forgot we're a Rockets podcast today. Hey man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rahul, Rahul bringing up some old, old deep wounds here. You know, usually we we usually get away with like not having Rockets on on every every episode, but I guess I guess that's a theme now. But it is it is what it is. Now now now, now safe in case won't have you back next time. It's okay. <laughs> nah, they're they're used to us uh, us Rockets fans and everything that we do. But they're Lakers fans. They're much more. They're worse. They're worse. <laughs> like ten thousand times worse. Oh, super toxic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, they the Chris Middleton definitely missing was hurt was a hurt hurting them, right? You have a guy in Chris Middleton who's so valuable on both ends of the floor, a shot maker, a distributor, an above average defender. And Drew Holiday at the end of the series was basically just tired. You know, he had to spend so much of his energy trying to hound Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That's exhausting. I mean, it does, he, he's an NBA player and he's the second star on that team. He should have stepped up. But when you have a guy like Chris Middleton, supposedly for your team, you know, that was how Milwaukee succeeded last year when you mm-hmm. have your full healthy team. But even the fact that Milwaukee was able to take this talented Celtics team to seven games without their second best player and arguably top 30, top 40 player in this league. That's pretty impressive, given, and that's just the greatness of Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? He was the first player in NBA history to average or to have 200 points, 100 rebounds, and five and 50 assists in a playoff series. So absolutely astounding numbers. He's a two-time MVP for a reason, but you know it just wasn't enough. And gotta yeah. give credit to the Celtics; they really, they really came through. I will say this before we before we move on. Uh, Giannis really gave it his all. He had what 20, 25 points, 20 rebounds, nine assists in Game Seven. Uh, but I also have to say I'm very disappointed in Bobby Portis and the way he played. You know, Bobby Portis was such an integral key part of that championship team last season. Like he was one of the X factors that kept Milwaukee uh, on top. And he had a miserable series. Like I think from between games three and six, he had 7.8 points a game. He was shooting 29% from the field, 10% from three. Milwaukee only won two of those games between games three and six. You know, if they if Bobby Portis played a little better in one of those games, they probably could have they probably could have uh, come out with a they probably could have come out with the win that they needed. Uh, but you know, we are here we are right now, uh, and hopefully Milwaukee can come back better with the healthy Chris Middleton as well. Yeah, definitely expect them to. And last year when you have. Bobby Milton or Bobby Portis as your fourth or fifth guy, then, you know, that's fine. But now when you're asking Bobby Port, Bobby Portis, even Brooke Lopez to be somewhat of a third option and, you know, take shots and be reliant as a scorer in a tight series, especially against a really good defensive team in the Celtics, that's a tough ask. And so it, 
it had he done it, I think it'd have been really impressive, but I'm not terribly surprised that Bobby Porter struggled because it's, he was kind of playing out outside of his role, you know? Yeah, exactly. Move, moving to the other side of the East, the Miami heat defeated the Philadelphia Sixers in six games. Uh, my guy, our, our guys, as Rahul oh. should say for James Harden, uh, went out bad and caught, caught some strays on the timeline. Uh, Rahul, shaking your head, man. What's, what's going through your mind, man? I I've been, so I've been saying this to like, I had safe and uh, Nabil. I came to, I went out, came to Atlanta, I saw them. And then when we met this weekend as well, you know, I've told them, I was like, James Harden get, deserves what he gets, man. I was his, I was his like on the bandwagon, loved it, but man, he's not the same player for all these reasons, various reasons And I'm not going to talk about James Harden for the next like 30 seconds. But uh, I just think that the Sixers are, um, they're better with James Harden than Ben Simmons, but I think they still have some work to do. They rely heavily on Embiid. They need a lot of other things. They need to make some moves. Obviously, Maxi is their future, and they need to figure out what they need to do with that. But I think that the Heat were just too good overall in the series. I think they just played much better defensively, better coached, um, and just making plays when they need to. I don't think that even if Embiid had played in um, two of those the first two games, like it would have made that big of a difference. Um, but I think that the way that the series shaked out, it was probably going to happen regardless. And, you know, there's work to be done, but Miami was the better team. And I'm not, I wasn't really surprised with the outcome. I was kind of surprised it went to six. I was thinking it might just end up five. Wow. Yeah, before this, before the series, I had the, the heat in six as well, but I was under the assumption that, you know, Joel Embiid would be healthy, but Joel Embiid was paying through multiple injuries, right? Orbital fracture, th- torn thumb ligament. Shaban, do you think that, if Joel Embiid was completely healthy and even James Harden, if his hamstring was completely healed, which I don't think it is. Do you think that this outcome of the series would be any different? Well, for, uh, first of all, let me, let me go full case and be like, I think you're making excuses for James Harden. Uh, no, no, uh, I'm not. No. Okay. Look, before <laughs> well, I'm gonna clarify here, James Harden played like shit and yes, deserves, deserves all of the slander and the, the criticism of his game. Cause he did not play up to his yeah. standards. Uh, 100%. Well, but if I am being honest, if I am being real, you know, James Harden looked nowhere near healthy. Jo- Joel Embiid was also nowhere near healthy for this series. Uh, I remember I remember James Harden would just not shoot the ball uh, or not. He would just completely stop driving to the rim. Uh, I mean, that's not typical behavior for a you know, super someone who is really known for being for slashing down the lane, uh, someone who's really made a career out of it. And he's not even he's not even going for fouls like in the interior anymore. He's trying to just foul bait on the uh, on the perimeter. So and he also he scored zero points in the second half of game six. And, you know, he's gone through many stretches where he's just been complete. He's just completely disappeared going back to last season when he really messed up that hamstring. So I think this raises a lot of questions about Harden uh, come free agency, but that's probably for, that's probably a topic for another time. Uh, But Tyrese Maxey was definitely a bright spot for the Sixers. Uh, He really stepped up when it mattered. He, he was the scoring punch. He was actually Philly's leading score. I believe he was uh, scoring like 20 points a game. And, and, you know, Credit to Miami. They are a great organization. Pat Riley runs that ship like with an iron fist. 
nobody steps out of line. Everybody's in line. Like everybody buys in. Everyone's in the heat culture. Like heat culture is real. And it, yeah. it kicked Atlanta's ass in the first half in the first uh, in the first round. And it took Philly to fucking school in the second round. So yeah. Do you, do you think going kind of going back to my initial question, just real quick, do you think that if Harden was healthy and Embiid was hundred percent healthy, you think the Sixers even had a chance in the series? Oh, for sure. Like if they, if James Harden and Joel Embiid played to the standard that they would normally play, if they played as if they were at their peak, I think it would probably be Philly in five, to be honest. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's an, that's pretty interesting. And I would, the, the James Harden fan in me would like to agree or would hope to agree with you that, you know, that, that James, if he was at like his 2018, 2019 and just his rockets days that, this would have been uh, a different series, different yeah. outcome. But we forget that James Harden was averaging like 30 points a game in the playoffs, like not even like three years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the drop-off is definitely there. We can talk about James Harden forever, but the, the hamstring doesn't look great. The The struggles in the playoffs have definitely been there. But we just hope that he gets healthy and gets right, and we'll see what happens next year when Philly reloads and makes some moves over the offseason. Switching over to the West, so the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors, I think, had a pretty fun series. Unfortunately, it was bogged down by some injuries, uh, Gary Payton early on, and then, of course, John Morant going down. Golden State comes out of this in six games. Rahul, what are your thoughts on, on this series? What do you think? Man, I, I love me some Grizzlies. I think they were, I mean, all of us probably can agree, they were earlier than expected where they got to. And I feel like they could have definitely won this game or this series. Um, healthy John Morant and the Warriors did not look crisp. I mean, there's like, I was counting game one could have gone to the Grizzlies. Game two, they won. Uh, they were in every single game, I feel like, except for maybe one of those games. And, you know, it was just just about matter about finishing the games. Um, and that's where experience kicks in. And that's what the Warriors have. Um, and, you know, I, I'm excited for the future, but I think that the outcome was not surprising, but I think that the way that the Grizzlies played with heart with or without jaw shows a lot about this team and a lot about this coaching staff and what they can do. Uh, I'm just excited to see what they do to reload. And, you know, the Warriors now watching very unbiasedly without any Rockets um, bias included in that the Warriors actually play a great, great brand of basketball. And it's really fun to watch. It's like, how do you, like, if you're watching just to watch basketball, you watch the Warriors play because it's really fun. So, yeah. Tremendous shooters, tremendous system. Uh, you know, Mark Jackson before Steve Kerr got there when, when clay and, and Strafford drafted kind of setting the foundations of that mm -hmm. team. And then obviously when Steve Kerr took over and, and you know, those two stars along with Draymond really took over and flourished and, you know, turned it into a, a complete dynasty. And, you know, the Warriors have been between the Warriors and LeBron have been the face of the league for, for quite some time now. And so I agree completely. It was a really fun brand to watch. Uh, I, I like Memphis a lot. I think they absolutely showed a lot of grit, uh, you know, grit and grind. That's, the, that's their motto and has been for, for many years and that toughness and that intensity, they bring it. And this new young squad definitely has that. I like all the Grizzlies players except for Dylan Brooks. Not a fan of Dylan Brooks. These guys know this. Um, he you really single-handedly Brooks. I really do. He single-handedly lost them. What is that? Game five? Um, yeah. or game four. Sorry, no, game four. Game five. The the Warriors had won, I think. Uh, but as well. But the the one where the the Grizzlies were up and you know that they were up the entire time and Dylan Brooks went. I think two of seventeen. Chucked up brick after brick after brick. And he's terrible. I'm not a fan. I think they should get rid of him. 
he's he's holding them back. But obviously not having Ja hurts as well. But he'll be back next season, healthy, hopefully, and ready to go. One thing that does concern me a little bit, though, Shaban, Ja has had some some injury issues, like you know, throughout some of his early part of his career. Even this season, he missed what twenty five games, where the Grizzlies went twenty and five during the regular season, which was a surprising stat for to a lot of people. Twenty two and five, actually. Twenty two and five, so twenty seven games now, right? So yeah, does that does the injury pattern? concern you a little bit or is it just you think it's just like just some freak accidents and that he'll be fine uh it con- it concerns me to a moderate degree just because of it gives me it gives me derrick rose vibes you know what i mean uh especially with the way that he plays the way he the athleticism that he plays with because he really throws his weight around when he on the like when he makes those drives to the basket and well, when he elevates to the rim uh, he puts he really throws his weight in that in those motions so obviously the injury concerns are always going to be there uh, but he's still young you know this is only his third year in the league he's only 22 years old he's still got a lot of time for the trainers and the personnel to get him in the right shape probably bulk up a little bit add some more muscle add some more support uh, for those jo- like for uh, those ligaments and those joints, uh, you know, work on his form a little bit so that he's moving more efficiently. You know, right now, I mean, as it is, he's still a tremendous super. He's tremendous superstar as it is right now. But if he operates in a more controlled uh, setting or in a controlled and in a controlled manner of play, then that could probably elevate his game further and also sit, spare him a lot of injury concerns. Uh, so, so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's probably the outlook for John Morant in the future. It's a tricky balance because obviously what makes Jaw so exciting is his athleticism and just that, that pure intensity and just his ability to, to elevate and you very know, attack the rim. Uh, but I mean, at the same time, you're right, right. Where you have that, you know, with Derek Rose, you know, was very played in a very similar fashion. And unfortunately injuries, you know, derailed his career. And so it's a, it's a tough balance, you know, when you come into the league with athleticism and then trying to find some of that skill to develop and be able to manage your game and the longevity, you know, similar to what a Blake Griffin, you know, has tried to do after coming into the league as just like a pure freak athlete. Mm-hmm. Moving into what I think will be Shaban's favorite series to talk about. Uh, the result last night of the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns with the Mavs pulling off the upset in a dramatic fashion in game seven of a pure ass beating of the Phoenix Suns. Floor is yours, buddy. Enjoy enjoy this moment, Shaban. It's all you. The thing is, like, I'm still kind of, I, I'm still, I still don't know really what really to say. I'm still kind of in shock <laughs> As to how, not just how this, not not just how Game Seven played out, even though that was a shock on its own, but uh, this series has played out completely opposite of what I was thinking. Uh, six of the seven games uh, were decided by double figures. Game not and Game Three was only by nine points, and Dallas won Game Seven as part of a thirty-three point blowout where the lead was at one point, 46 points. They led the game wire to wire. They were up by uh, 20, at, I believe, at the end of the first quarter. And they just, Phoenix just never fought back. 
Like I was just, I was waiting. Cause I know like I'm, I'm used to this, you know, I'm a Dallas fan. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. 30 point lead. Awesome. When are we going to blow it? And they didn't. <laughs> and they just kept playing well. And it, it, the lead balloon to like almost 50. And ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. Yeah. I remember when, like in our second round preview, safe asked me what could Dallas possibly do in order to secure a win uh, for like in the series. And I said that the role players had to step up and the role and step up. They did uh, games one and two were, you know, really bad offer both Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie. But after game two, Spencer Di- uh, Jalen Brunson stepped up really like in a huge fashion. He started scoring about 22 points a game, 4.4 rebounds, three assists, about shooting about 50% from the field. He had 24.6 rebounds, two assists, and two threes in game seven. And just the fact that he just completely bodied Devin Booker the entire uh, the entire series. It's actually kind of embarrassing how Devin Booker was like being thrown all over the floor from little ass Jalen Brunson. Yeah, not a not a good look. We'll talk more about the Mavs for sure as we get mm-hmm. into our, our Western Conference yeah. preview. But Rahul, coming but, to you, uh, what did you see from from Phoenix that surprised you or that you expected to see from them coming into a Game Seven do or die at home? Man, I. I, I love me some CP3. You know, I've seen him go place to place and just make teams better, players better. And so I thought that that experience, the what he's gone through and throughout his time in the league, I thought that that would show much more. Um, and he would just will his way to that win. I was kind of surprised I didn't see that. I was kind of surprised that they, it just seemed like they weren't ready for the game at all, uh, which is very unlikely for a Chris Paul team. Um, even a Monty Williams coach team, I feel like, all there's a lot of like experience a lot of like mindset um in, in between those two and i just feel like it was it did not resonate it didn't come out on the floor they just let they they may i don't know if this was the approach but i just felt like they just played it too cool where they were tr- like they were like oh we can still come back from this because like to shaban's point like they've maybe seen dallas like they can they can be they can come back and um claw back at that lead but that just didn't happen i thought that the home court would play into it that didn't play into it either so it was just a lot of surprising factors i was more disappointed i really wanted um nothing against dallas dallas is a great team and they've been playing really well too just wanted chris paul to, to take this and get his next or last maybe potentially last chance to get a ring it didn't happen. So I was a little bit upset on that part, that fact, mm-hmm. but I think that being a, such a strong and dominant team throughout the season, Phoenix, I just feel like for one game to drop, this was not the one to show, like not even show up for him. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be a lot of questions about uh, Chris Paul's, the, or the lingering effects this will have on Chris Paul's legacy and Devin Booker's by the way, and probably raise a lot of questions about what to do about Deandre Ayton and, what's going to happen with him in free agency. So uh, that's an, that's an interesting point you bring up because at the end of the game, they asked Monty Williams, why Deandre Ayton only played 17 minutes in that game. And in a very, you know, strict pissed off voice, he said it's internal. So definitely that's, that's not quite the quote you want to hear from your head coach. Uh, and from what I've understood, what I've understood is that they got into it on the bench, uh, either in the bench or in the locker room, uh, Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton got into some sort of argument or DeAndre Ayton gotten into one with the entire coaching staff. 
So it's not a great look for, mm-hmm. for DA going into a free agency where he's currently, I think, is a yeah. restricted free agent, right, going into this offseason. I and... just assumed it was because Luca kind of bodied him. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, there's there's that too, but it's more so that it was because of that. There's some arguments and some, some internal things that might be kind of going on behind the scenes that we haven't really been privy to yet that we'll, we'll find out, uh, you know, as the, the next few days and as they get into more details of the off season and diving into what actually happened now that Phoenix is done with their season. Phoenix, not, you know, do their, their job. And they were definitely one of the title favorites. They were my favorites coming into oh, for sure. you know, this, this playoffs and, you know, to be able to have a, a grunge match against Milwaukee and clearly that did not work out for either side. So we'll talk about the teams that did make it and what this, the next round looks like. We'll start off in the East, talking about Miami versus Boston. This is going to be a really fun series. I think it's going to be a very defensive, defense-heavy series. You've got two really, really good defensive coaches in Ime Udoka and obviously Eric Spolstra, who I think Spo is the best coach of the game. He's a master at coming up with defensive schemes and game plans on how to shut down your opposing stars. He did it to Trey Young. He did it to Embiid and James Harden. He's going to try to find ways to do it to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as well. So I'm going to be really interested to see how this chess match plays out. Rahel, who do you think wins this series and why? All right. So agree with all those points that you said. And before I give you my prediction, I'm going to kind of lead this case up for it. Um, so defense, both teams play great, great defense, amazing defense. I think Boston has shown um, with the type of types of players that they've locked down in their two previous series, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, um, Giannis, and all of his supporting cast as well. So I, I, on the other side, I feel like Miami's kind of played, they played a Trey Young team, didn't really have any other strong players that showed out. Um, and then when they played Philly, they played Embiid for only two games. Uh, and only for four games, they didn't play a full, I don't think they played a full series. I feel like Boston's defense has shown uh, ability to stop stronger players. Um, Coaching-wise, I agree. Spolstra is, I feel like, one of the best coaches that we have in the league right now. Um, I do think that the home court will play into a little bit with Miami, having that experience-wise with Miami being, um, this is their second time in three years being in the conference finals. They've had most of their core together for some time, um, and they've been through a lot with that court. They've added some key players that have been in the playoffs, so I think that helps them a little bit. But I will have to say, man, I just think that the Celtics are on a run right now. They've played so well, even when they looked like they were not going to win the last series or they looked down, they just find ways. The team just finds ways to win. Um, I think that beating Giannis, beating the defending champions, possibly the favorites to win the East, the Bucs. Um, I know they didn't have Middleton, but they still had a strong team. Um, I think that it's just too much for me to go against them. I think that the Celtics will win in six games. I think that with their defense, even though Spolstra will throw different uh, pieces towards uh, Tatum and Brown, I think that Boston has a lot more to throw towards Jimmy Butler. And they don't, I don't know who else steps into that, into that role besides Lowry. If he's not available, then it's a lot of mixed bag. Um, So I think the Celtics win in six games. Okay. I think it's definitely... I, that would probably be – I would probably be leaning towards that pick as well. It's Celtics at six. Uh, you know, fun fact, uh, I was looking at the, the playoffs advanced stats, and uh, can you take a guess who's number one in net rating? 
Hmm. Jason Tatum. Well, I meant like uh, by team. Oh, by team. Like I'm guessing it's the Celtics then. No, I think it's the Heat. It's Miami. Yeah. Oh. They have a a net rating of 10.3. They are outscoring teams by 10.3 points per 100 possessions. Uh, This is the playoffs? In the playoffs, yeah. Yeah, but they didn't play the Bucs. All right, so they didn't play the Nets. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, they played the Hawks. And a depleted Sixers team. Hey, man, what do you got against the Hawks? No, I'm just kidding. They were, they, were, they, were, they were really bad. I'm just kidding. I take that back. By the way, the Boston Celtics actually have the second highest net rating at 6.9. Uh, Dallas also has the third best rating. I'm just saying. I'm just so you're saying that the East, East series will go to like seven games. It'll go like back and forth. I would say it's it's really likely that the series go to, goes to seven games. I think it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be highly contested i think it's going to be exactly what you said it's going to be pretty defensive grinded out way they're both these teams are very switchy on defense especially and both of these teams it's like looking at like they're both kind of the same team almost you have you have two-way bigs that can like work in the that can defend on the perimeter you have superstar you have a superstar in jimmy butler and you have a superstar in jason tatum uh, you have a lot of discipline on both of those benches, a lot of mental toughness on both of those benches, uh, great culture instilled in those organizations. Uh, uh, but man, I, I also have to agree with Rahil that this Bucks team is on a huge run right now and they're full head of steam. They, I think they are riding on a lot of confidence after defeating the defending champions uh, in the way that they did in game seven. So I think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm actually going to say, uh, I'm actually going to say uh, Celtics in seven instead. Seven. Okay. Interesting. I think I'm going to lean with Rahul specifically with his pick. I think I'm going to go Celtics in six, given that the Celtics will have a home game in that game six, where I think they'll close it out. Your, your point is pretty valid, Shaban, is when I was looking at both of these teams, they look pretty equal on paper in terms of the way their roster is constructed. You've got a really talented big in Bam Adebayo, and then on the other side, you've got Al Horford, who's been playing out of his mind at age 35. Speaking of which, where was this on the Hawks? Like, you know, we could have used this, uh, you know, like six, seven years ago, but, you know, it's fine. Uh, it is what it is. You, they, us, us, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. No, no, no. Go ahead. What you gonna say? No, I was gonna say. I mean, aren't you excited? I want to see PJ Tucker versus Marcus Smart. Like that's what I want to see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm all, I'm all for PJ for for PJ being successful. I'm glad PJ got a ring last year. Uh, he's great. Also, Milwaukee giving him up was such a dumb move looking back now, right? That they didn't want to pay him a two year, fifteen million dollar contract. They could really used- use him. Yeah, they really could have used him on like their wings were completely depleted. And that's kind of the reason why they lost uh, now that they didn't have Chris Middleton. But getting back to back to Miami and Boston, Miami obviously has a solid rotation of eight or nine guys, which includes PJ Tucker, Tyler Hero, Gabe Vincent. Now guys that are stepping up, playing really, really big roles on the team. I think Tyler Hero is going to be the X factor for the Miami Heat in this series. If Miami wants to have any chance of success, they're going to need Tyler Hero to be in a six-man role and, you know, score 20, 25 points a game. Um, 
they're going to really need Tyler to step up, especially because of how well that Boston defends. You're going to need some of that isolation scoring and you're going to need someone to just get you buckets. And the number one guy on that team, even I think more so than Jimmy Butler, who can just kind of go in and just make a contested shot and get a bucket is, is Tyler Hero. So Tyler would be really big for them. And then on the flip side for Boston, they're obviously the, the tandem of, of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to need to deliver uh, against a really good Miami defense. They're going to need to score 20, 25 points, definitely each a game uh, and more so Tatum. I think Tatum's got to continue. Like you said, the Celtics have are really hot right now. And Tatum has been that guy who's been making shots all over the court, driving, uh, and also playing really good defense as well. We talked in the preseason a lot about Jason Tatum's potential as, as I know a top five player in the league offensively, we knew he was talented, but defensively, that's where I had my questions for him is he has a great frame. He's got great athleticism. He's got great defensive instincts, but can he put it together and actually play tremendous defense um, and become like an elite two-way star in this league? And in these playoffs, he's showing that he's really showing up and showing out and, I think with how well the Celtics have been playing and just, you know, their, their talent and their togetherness uh, and their ability to be a better offensive team than Miami, I'm going to pick the Celtics in six as well. All right. Wow. Yeah. I think we're, I'm glad we're all on the same page here because, you know, hats off to Miami and, you know, all the credit to the world to them. They've had a great playoff series uh, or a great postseason so far. Uh, but this is definitely going to be an uphill battle. Uh, they have the Boston Celtics, I think, probably have the NBA's best defense in the league right now. Mm-hmm. And they have cap, capstone, of course, by their, the defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart. Uh, I'm just so marveled at how this Boston team just made a complete 180. Uh, they were under 500 in the beginning of January. And Ime Udoka cites a win, and I think it was an overtime win in Washington as an inflection point for the team. And he said that that was the moment where we took this step forward and we started to experience a new level of toughness in our game. We started closing out games. We started uh, uh, operating as more as a team. We started being on the same page. Guys are buying in. Uh, Marcus Smart is becoming a more and more of a willing passer. Uh, the Celtics team has added such an extra dimension to themselves that it's really hard to bet against them right now, as good as Miami is as a basketball team. Yeah, it's crazy because five, month, five months ago on this podcast, we were talking about whether or not the Celtics should trade Jalen Brown and you know break it yeah. up because clearly the two wings wasn't working. The Celtics were not playing well. You know, Marcus Smart was upset with both of them for being Marcus, ball hogs and not and not passing the ball. Marcus Smart and was probably packing his bags to go to Atlanta. <laughs> Man, can you imagine? Can you crazy. imagine Marcus Smart in Atlanta, like right now? Yeah, oh, we could really wow. use him. Yeah, we definitely could. <laughs> we could use any defensive player. Honestly, the Hawks could use any defensive wing at this point. Uh, but that's. Oi, we can we'll we'll get into that into the That's offseason of what, there. of what the Hawks need. We we will we could very easily in the offseason spend an hour on Hawks and just what they need and how they can get better because they they struggled a lot. Switching switching gears now to the West and with Shaban your Mavs now taking on the Golden State Warriors who are a true and tried tested championship team. This is going to be a fun series as well, especially with the Mavs being hot. So Rahul, I'm gonna come to you first. What are your thoughts on this series? 
Yeah, man. Um, so I I wanted I wanted the other thing to happen because I thought that the Phoenix Golden State series would be really hot, really, really um tested of the true experiences. But man, I, I have to give all my credit to Dallas. They've played tremendous. I feel like they like the first series and just building on that momentum and not even giving up, even being in down 2-0 in this series uh, against the Suns. I just feel like they're also similar to the Boston Celtics where they kind of like they're in a groove. They're, they're, they're riding a momentum and it's just things are clicking. It's kind of like how we see if you compare it to like March Madness when like when a team, whatever, whatever seed the team may be, they're just riding high and they just roll. And I think that this team is getting hot at the right time. They're playing well together. Um, but I know there are things like I like Craig pointed out with the other series, there are things that um, if you look at on paper, you know, Golden State has that experience. They've been here before. They've done this before. They have their core. They're clicking well. Um, Golden State has home court advantage. They have um, experienced coaching. I'm not sure if it's better or not, but they have experienced coaching. Um, they play well on offense. They have young stars mixed in with their veterans. Um, and they play really good defense too. And it's just a fun brand of basketball to watch. The way that they move the ball, they can find the open guy. So I think that all that goes into it. But you can't you can't discount how they got here. And they they beat an injured Nuggets team. They beat an injured Grizzlies team. Not saying that they're not good enough to beat them healthy as well, but I'm just saying that they they had um, even that last series. If you think about goal, like Memphis was in every ser- every game of that series, and if Jaw was playing in some of those games, it could have gone either way potentially or kept the same result. Who knows? But um, it's just to say that Dallas is right now they're as healthy as they can be, and they're playing really well. It will go back and forth. I will go with my gut and not what I not my brain, but my heart, and I'll say Dallas in seven. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, that's a really interesting thought. Definitely. I could see it mm-hmm. happening, especially of how hot Dallas is with golden state. What you kind of alluded to is their, their struggles in these past series, right? Steph, obviously tremendous player, but Steph hasn't been the same Steph as he's been in years past mm-hmm. or even at er- earlier points in the season, right? He hasn't been as efficient. He's been missing a lot of shots. I think that he typically makes, especially some of his open threes or some of his pull up you know, crossing half court that, We've just so gotten so accustomed to Steph making those ridiculous shots that it's become normal. And now that he's missing them, it's a red flag to us. Clay coming back from his injury is starting to find his offensive groove, but defensively, he's still a step slow behind, you know, after his injury and the, the, the two years of injuries that he has. And Draymond, the thing I struggle with Draymond is watching him play sometimes is Draymond has terrific basketball IQ. He's very good defender, very talented, but Teams will literally sag off of him by 15 feet. Literally, they're so far away from him. And what frustrates me is there's been multiple times, and I saw multiple times in that Memphis series where all he needed to do was like fake a pitch or just turn around, take two dribbles, and he would be at like at that six to eight to 10 feet range, somewhere in that mid range. And he had like a floater or a push shot. And I've seen him make those. He can do it. But the lack of his offensive aggressiveness, I think, takes away from what the Warriors are able to do. And if the Warriors really want to be successful and kind of get back to what they used to be, they're going to need Draymond to be more aggressive offensively and and take some shots because the teams are just completely disrespecting his, his shooting ability. I'm not saying that he should stand out there and take 10 open threes because that's what the, that's what the Dallas would gladly take. They would gladly want Draymond to stand there with his backpack looking ass jump shot and let him (laughs) 
<laughs> let, let him shoot out there, you know, but I'm not, I'm not saying them for them to do that, but if he's in the, in the mid post, he's the high post, he's got the ball, you know, make a move, be aggressive, drive to the basket, get some fouls there. You know, he has some opportunity to make some of those mid range shots. Uh, and I think it'll just create more space for the rest of the warrior shooters. Shaban, what do your Dallas Mavericks need to do to Wait, pull what's off your this pick? upset? Oh, my pick. You're right. Um, <laughs> I think I think I'm going with the Warriors in six. Uh, I'm I'm all for the chaos of Dallas winning, but but realistically, if if the Warriors played their right, their true brand of basketball, and Steph and Clay play like the like the true superstars they are. Um, well, Steph, I don't know about Clay at this point in his career, but after coming off those injuries, but. The Warriors, just their ball movement, they're so hard to guard. Uh, just a tremendous, tremendous system. And so I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna pick the Warriors in six. Shaban, your Mavs, what do they gotta do to win? I don't know. Like to like honestly, like I I haven't planned this far ahead. I did not I, I was telling my wife last night on Sunday night that if they win this game. They can get swept for all I care. I just, <laughs> this is already a, it's already a win for you. You're, yeah, you're it's like, you're I just, you're, I just want this. I just want, like, I want this so badly. Like I like to knock out the defending, like knock out the defending Western conference champions uh, and just like rub it in. There's like snarky ass little faces. I wanted it. <laughs> I wanted, I want I, like the petty, like toxic energy in me was like, I need it. I need this. But Devin, yeah, Devin Booker, king of talking shit. And then he got he got his ass handed to him. So there you go. So uh, here's the thing, right? Dallas did not match up very well with Phoenix, like at all. Uh, one of the things that Dallas got really exposed on in games one and two against Phoenix was their lack of size. Dallas and Golden State are very they actually match up a lot better, in my opinion. And it's because they both play. They both play very small. They're both very switchy on defense. They're both. Uh, they both have shooters that can torture you if you leave them on an island. Uh, I understand that. Okay, say in a typical set, you have uh, Luca, Jalen Brunson, uh, Dodo, Reggie Bullock, and Dwight Powell. Uh, you could probably you could probably get Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green to take turns guarding Luca. Uh, and then have one on either Bullock or Finney Smith. Uh, and then you can put Clay on uh, Jalen Brunson and just stick him on there the entire time. But, you know, you still, you, but you're still leaving an open shooter, right? But in game four, Phoenix tried to play off of Dorian Finney Smith a little bit, and he ended up draining eight threes that game. So it's a really delicate position that the Warriors are in. Obviously, the Warriors should be a better team because Klay uh, Thompson is looking closer to 100% than he's ever looked this entire season. And the Warriors have the NBA's best defense. Dallas's defense is fairly good, but the Warriors' defense is just up top, like, uh, like just top of the league, and Draymond Green is that engine that runs it. For Dallas to win, they got to do the same thing that they did in Phoenix, play tough defense, role players need to step up, role players need to hit open shots, and Luka has to be really consistent. But also I'll add a, another caveat. This is really more – this is less of a individual matchup between 
like say Luca and Steph or Luca like Luca and Clay, Jalen Brunson or Clay Thompson. This isn't, in my opinion, this isn't more. This isn't really a player to player matchup. I think this is going to be a battle of the coaches. Like I think this is going to be a straight like chess match between Jason Kidd and uh, Steve Kerr. Uh, you know, Jason Kidd proved in the Phoenix series that he's a very, very capable head coach. He was very like I remember. There's like a clip on where he was mic'd up and he was just shouting like defensive sets telling Dodo, stay home, stay home, don't move, don't move, like stay on him. And then when uh, Devin Booker got the ball, they were like, trap him immediately. And he was so animated. He coached his ass off. And I can't wait to see that same sort of energy in Golden State because I think that's what he's going to bring it. And I'm also just going to go with my gut and say Mavs in seven. Because why the hell not? We beat we beat Phoenix, so why shouldn't we beat Golden yeah. State? <laughs> That's fair. No, I respect it. You made it this far. You didn't think you were gonna be here, and now you are. Like fuck also, it, might as well. Also, also, Dallas has won three of the four games that they've played uh, in Golden State this season. Uh, granted, Clay Thompson did not play in any of those games, uh, but. We'll probably see a similar scenario. The latest of which was like a twenty-point comeback, uh, sparked by Luca and Spencer Dinwiddie. So, if a Maver- if the Mavericks need to win, it would look probably a little bit like that, like one or two role players really stepping up and giving Luca some extra help. Yeah, your point on Jason Kidd definitely is valid. I wasn't sure about that hire when it first happened. You know, throughout the season, it was like, okay, you know, like, is it Luca's greatness that's carrying them, you know, that they're getting into this position? But this series is definitely, you know, Jason Kidd has has shown, like you, and like you said, we coached his ass off and really shown the rest of the league and especially me that, you know, he's he's a very good coach. He's been able to make adjustments, you know, between games, in games. The defensive scheme was phenomenal uh, in the way that they guarded Devin Booker uh, and, you know, making Chris Paul and work on both sides of the court. What I'm struggling with in this series is for, for the Golden State, especially defensively, is how, how are they going to guard Luka? Like Patrick Beverly talked about this on his on his epic rants that he had this morning. I don't know if you guys have caught them, but he basically who, slandered. Who didn't catch that? <laughs> he, he slandered Chris Paul for three hours. And then in between that, it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't like nobody can guard Luka. So, uh, I mean, the, the Phoenix had Mikel Bridges, who was a defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, and he couldn't do anything against Luca. So, Raho, what do you think that the Warriors are going to do against Luca? How do you stop him? So they should do the James Harden treatment again, Rockets reference, because it's <laughs> this play plays very similar. Look, let him do what he wants to do. Let him get fifty points. They're not going to win. You need to stop everybody else. If you go home on everybody else and let him run through the lane, do whatever he wants to do, jack up threes, whatever he wants to do, then let him. He'll get 50 points, and then they'll still lose by like 20 points. Um, I think that's that may, that may be an approach, but the other approach, if they actually want to do it, they just need to get under his skin. You know, you see like through game, whatever it is, whether it's like his competitiveness, whether it's pettiness or whatever, but he gets into the emotions of the game. Draymond is wonderful at getting under people's skin. <laughs> Um, so I feel like if you like, you know, push him to an extent, like they, they're going to let them play. The refs are going to let them play. Um, there might be some petty calls. There might be some like, un, like questionable calls, whatever it is. But I feel like when it comes to playing a game within the game, Draymond is one of the best at that. And so I feel like if that happens, um, they might throw Luca off. But if you talk about an individual 
matchup. There isn't one person to guard that. I think it's going to be like a team effort. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to try to slow him down, not necessarily stop him. And if you're able to kind of do different things to bother him or bother the team, it'll be enough. Uh, But I just don't know if they can do that on a consistent basis over a seven game series. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree with what you said about Draymond, but he actually, he has to be really careful because he is, I believe he is very dangerously close to, I think he's one technical away from being suspended a game in the playoffs. Uh, So I understand that he does want to, I understand that Draymond loves to provoke people and he, loves to get under people get under player skin like you said but uh he's also got to be really careful himself because if he crosses a line uh, a ref is not gonna especially she's gonna be like scott foster or tony brothers out there officiating <laughs> they're, they're not gonna be shy about throwing his ass out of the game and yeah and if they throw him out then he's he's gone for at least another game and that could be you know the last time that happened you know Golden State blew a 3-1 lead. So you definitely don't want a repeat of that. <laughs> Yikes. All right. Bef- before we get out of here, one one last question for the both of you. Who in this series gets more technical fouls, Luca or Draymond? Luca. Luca, how many think he's how many thinking? I mean, how many you think he's getting? I think he's getting, I think he's I think he's gonna get three. Damn, you stole my answer, man. I'll say four. <laughs> I'll say four. Uh, I, I thought four was a little aggressive. So I was just like, yeah, three Three is like a moderate number. If it goes to seven, then, you know, it's, it's like one attack every couple of games, right? Okay. So. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I think it'll be three for Luca, like one every other game. But, you know, then they'll have to kind of hold him back and tell him to calm down. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. They'd be like, right, be well, like, let, be like let, let Dodo get the tech for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just anybody, anybody but Luca. You got you to gotta have Luca out there at all times. Otherwise, it's, it gets tough. But anyways, listener, thank you for listening to another episode of the Hoopologist podcast. You can find us on our socials at, the Hoop, at Hoopologist on Twitter and Instagram and thehoopologist.com on YouTube. Thanks for listening to the to our Western Conference and Eastern Conference previews. We'll get back to you soon, and we're going to have some hopefully fun basketball in between to watch. And take care, be safe, and we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you guys soon. See ya. Peace. Peace.